Grab a seat and grab your Bible if you don't mind, and we are going to jump right in here in a moment. By the way, good morning. How are you doing today, church? Good. It's good to see you. I'm Josh, one of the ministers here. If it's your first time, welcome to the family. Our mission as a church is to reach the next person for Jesus because every person matters to God. And so we're glad that you're here today celebrating Jesus with us. All right, grab your notes. They should be on your seat or in your lap. One, if you're going, where? Just, just look around. We're going to dive into part three of a teaching that we're calling Practicing the Way. And here, here's the good news. I don't know what you brought in with you this morning, but you can be at home today, not striving and trying harder, but you can be at rest with God, receiving from him everything you need to become more like his son, Jesus Christ. And here's how we do this. And this is the big idea for the entire series. It is simply this. We become more like Jesus. And it's an effortless possibility, but you can effortlessly become more like Jesus simply by arranging your life around the same activities that Jesus arranged his life around. It's not about working harder. It's not about behavior modification. It's not about managing the way you look. It's simply by doing what Christ did, which is to reorganize your life. And it will take removing some things, but as you organize your life around the same activities, you will become more like Jesus Christ at peace in yourself and in every situation. And who doesn't want a little bit more peace in this world? So last week, we said something that uh, we hope will be helpful. And by the way, what we're doing is we're walking through this series called Practicing the Way. And we're using this wonderful little book by a man named Dallas Willard. He passed away about a decade ago. It's a great little book that talks about 15 of the fundamental core spiritual practices that Jesus engaged in, as well as all those throughout Christian history who have had major strides in becoming more like Jesus. And if you're like me, there are days where you look back and you say, I've been following Jesus for decades and I don't feel any closer today than I was the day I started. It may be that there's some rearranging and some of the activities that the Lord may invite you into. And so we've been looking at this book. Now, let me just give you a little warning. The book is brilliant, but it's really, 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 really hard. There's a lot in there that you go, oh. So my goal, I'm not nearly as smart as Willard, but my goal is to take his ideas, bring them down to at least my level so we might be able to begin practicing some of these things. And my encouragement to you would be to find a practice every week that we talk about and say, this week I'm going to practice that one spiritual practice because it's not enough to simply hear it but to begin trying it out. And some of these, you're going to go, man, this fits like a glove. Others, you're going to go, ah, just not where I'm at. That's okay. But last week we talked about how there are two categories of spiritual practices. There are practices of abstinence, meaning practices where we do not do certain things. And then there are practices of engagement, where we actively do certain things. And last week we began by looking at the first two practices of abstinence, solitude, and silence. And if you were not here last week, I strongly encourage you to go back and listen. Solitude throughout the past two millennia have been, has been understood as the primary practice of abstinence for the Christian life. So before you get into certain other practices, you may want to try solitude, not for a week or a month, but maybe just an hour where you're by yourself. And then silence is one of the gifts that you give yourself to begin to hear the spirit of God speaking to you above the noise of the world. Today, we're going to look at two of the first practices of engagement. 
some things that we do. And we're going to kind of ping pong back and forth each week so we get a flavor for it. And the reason we're doing this is abstinence is sort of like, uh, these practices of abstinence are almost like breathing. How many of you know how to breathe? Anyone else in here know how to breathe? Very good. Some of you, I'm not sure. If you're alive, you're doing it. Here's how you do it. You breathe out, you let loose whatever the toxins are, the things in your body, and then you must breathe in to receive life-giving oxygen. In the same way, some of these practices of abstinence, you are breathing out things from your life, and in engagement, you are then breathing in what God would want and have for you. It's a beautiful thing in Hebrew and in Greek both. The word for spirit is the same word for breath. So we breathe out And then we breathe in breath or spirit of God, inviting him into our everyday lives. And so today we begin by looking at the first or fundamental of the practices of engagement. It is the practice of study. You may want to write that down. It's study. Now, what is study? This is according to Willard. He says, study, in the spiritual discipline of study, we engage ourselves. There's that word engage. Above all... With the written and spoken word of God. Here is the chief positive counterpart to solitude. So in the way that solitude is the primary practice of abstinence, study is the primary practice of engagement. He goes on. As solitude is the primary discipline of abstinence for the early part of spiritual life, so study is the primary discipline of engagement. Our early experience may be so full... That we neglect study. In other words, you come to faith and you're just high on God. Like, yay, God, I love this so much that you may find yourself neglecting study. After all, you just feel close to God no matter what you do. But he goes on by saying, but relationship with God, as with any person, soon requires a contribution from us, which will largely consist of study. In other words, when we're with anybody, it mostly involves something We do with our minds. Isn't this true? When you're with a person, it's something you're doing with your mind. Here's what I mean. Have you ever been in a room with someone, but they were not really all there? They were there in body, but maybe not in spirit. Hello? Some of us know what it's like. Some of you are married to people like my wife is married to someone who she will often be in the same room with, but I am a million miles away. Study is the way, though, that we engage God, not physically, but spiritually and mentally. And the final part to this quote, Willard quotes a man named Calvin Miller, and he says, Calvin Miller well remarks, mystics, and don't get struck by that word, that simply means someone who thinks deeply about spiritual things, mystics, without study, are only spiritual romantics who want relationship without effort. So you come. And you get to talk about God, but you never listen to him. It is like someone who says, I want a relationship that is one-sided. So why do we practice this practice of study? That's very, very important. Before we talk about why we do, let me tell you why we don't do it. We don't do this to get brownie points with God or get a little gold sticker for ourselves in heaven. We also do not study scripture to show how smart we are or to win arguments. Hello? It's not about beating up your friends on Facebook. With the greatest argument. It's not about saying, look at me. In fact, Paul got this really, really clear centuries and centuries ago when he said that knowledge, lots of knowledge puffs you up, makes you feel important and smart and valuable. But love doesn't puff up, love builds up. And that's the goal. It's to love. 
In fact, finish this passage of scripture if you know how it ends. God is love. So to study is to know the heart and the very presence of God. This is what Paul also meant when he said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as, notice this, living sacrifices. That's what we're doing when we engage in spiritual practices of abstinence and engagement. We are opening ourselves up, offering our lives and our bodies to God so that the fullness of God may reside in us. He then goes on by saying, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't let the world's way dictate your autopilot way of living. Don't live by default, live by design. But, he says, but be transformed, meaning changed, by the renewing of your mind. That is the goal of study. The goal is renewal, to be a different person on the inside out. So if you want to write this down, why do we study? Study frees me. Every one of these practices is about freedom. It's not about obligation or duty or drudgery. It's about freedom, brothers and sisters. Study frees me from being controlled by the beliefs and biases of my heart and of our world. And it opens me to the promise of God's renewal. So if you want renewal... This is one of the primary ways that we get to enjoy it. Now, the great challenge of life is managing that unceasing flow of thoughts and feelings and desires and intentions that are always going inside of me. If you're like me, you always have a mental to-do list going on. Anyone else know what that's like? Your body may be at rest, but your brain is still active. Now, some of you have this wonderful thing called a nothing box. And then your spouse says, what are you thinking about? And you say nothing. And they say, no, really, what are you thinking about? And now you are no longer in your nothing box because you are talking to your spouse about your nothing box. But other than for those rare moments where you are in your nothing box, most of us have this unceasing flow of thoughts and ideas and feelings and concerns. And it is hard to not let them form our thinking. And so we invite God's words to inform our thinking and way of being. See, there are two ways to follow Jesus. And most of us have only tried the first way. Which is why many of us are so tired and frustrated in our faith, although we would never say that out loud. The first way is to attempt to manage your exterior behavior to change your internal reality. I will not do these things and I will try to do those things. And so we try really, really hard to look a certain way and it doesn't work. And we're tired and frustrated. But the other way, the easy yoke way that Jesus invites us into is not to manage exterior to interior. It is rather to allow the word of God to renew our minds, which change our feelings, which influence our actions. It's an inside out growth. You've never walked through an apple orchard and heard an apple tree straining to produce fruit. You never walk by hearing one go, no, they're not trying really hard. They're simply allowing their roots to go deep into the soil so that what comes into them naturally and effortlessly produces in them that which they could not do on their own. That's what it means to engage in the practice of study. So how do we do it? Let me show you just a real simple way to do this. A fundamental place to start is to, in study is to reflect on certain thoughts that are presented in scripture. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Greater is he who's in me than he who is in the world. It's to allow the thoughts of God to become our thoughts. Now let me give you one more thought here on why. When I engage in study, 
I am trying to change my mental map, my mental map about how things really are. Your mental map is your worldview. It's the filter through which you understand the world. And one of the great challenges is to allow your mental map to become formed so that it looks like the mental map of Jesus. I love what Willard says. He says, we all live at the mercy of our ideas. Have you ever heard someone say, you ought to live up to your beliefs? You ever heard someone say that? Here's the problem. We do. Every one of us lives up to exactly what we believe. So I say, It is better to give than to receive. That's what I believe. But then I look at my checking account and my credit card statement, how I spend my money, and I will know what I actually believe because what I do shows what I believe. We all live up to what we believe. That's not the issue here. The issue is, do we live up to what God says is true, the reality around us? And so it is never enough to simply know about something. We must seek to do the things that Jesus said to do because it is only by doing them, learning that they are true, that you and me are changed at the level of our mental maps. And as you do, your map will become the map that Jesus has. The way he sees the world is the way you will become and the way you will see the world. So how do we do this? Real quick, let me give you just a couple things here. Number one, I'm gonna invite you. I'll give you a couple more here, but number one is just... Engage with the scripture. And one of the ways you can do this, one of the ways you engage your mind on scripture is just to consider some of the passages, such as the Lord is my shepherd, or rejoice in the Lord always, or though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Another way is to meditate on scripture. Now, if you are like me and you hear this word meditate, you might think of someone sitting in lotus position going, um, that is not what we're talking about here. Uh, Let's do it this way. Many of you have meditated. You just don't even know it. Let's do it this way. Um, Would you... Would you trust me enough just to raise your hand if you have ever been worried about something? Because I worry. Anyone else here ever worry about anything? Okay. Hands up. Look around. Anyone whose hand is up, congratulations. You know how to meditate. Okay. Worry is meditation going the wrong direction. When you worry, you're simply preoccupied by a thought and it keeps going on repeat mode. Problem is, it spirals down. Meditation is you reflect and consider and mull over a thought from Scripture or from God. And instead of bringing you down, it raises your gaze to the beauty and the excellence of God. So if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. So you might think that passage, God is love. And you might take one word from that passage and meditate on each one of the words. So God, what does it mean? Well, he is the all-encompassing creator who created all things. He's over all things. He's perfect. He's good. Okay, that's God. Is. Well, is. It's not just past tense. It's not future tense. It's all. He is the guy who's over all things, even in this very moment. So God is right in this moment. Love. What is love? Well, it is a self-sacrificing desire to help another. Wow. And in so doing, you have just meditated on scripture. And then the third possibility here would simply be to, med- would be to memorize a passage. To allow in the moments of life when things are hard, that what gets squeezed out of you is the scriptures, the word of God. So two things to write down here. Number one, I would encourage you this week, if you want to practice this, number one, choose a scripture to meditate on. Throughout the day, just pick a scripture. And then the second one would be to think of a person 
whose faith you admire and take steps towards learning more about their life with God. After all, we often learn by watching the example of others. So you find someone who's living a with God kind of life and you go, ah, like that. Now, you ready for part two? Say yes. There we go. If study is what we do to listen to God, then this next one goes hand in glove because this is the one where we talk to God. It is practice number four. It's the practice of prayer. It is the practice of prayer. So in study, we let God speak to us, but in prayer, we talk to God. And this was, friends, the primary spiritual practice Jesus engaged in with engagement. Now, in solitude, he did that often, but he practiced prayer all the time. Have you ever thought about this? We'll often hear someone say something like, well, Jesus came to planet Earth to die for us and save us from our sins and to know what it's like to be human. Yes, true. But have you ever considered the fact that although Jesus knew what it was like to be us, there is no one who knows what it must have been like to be Jesus? He was utterly unique and therefore alone in this world. Yes, he had friends, but no one understood what he was going through. No one understood what it was to be God. No one understood what he was going to do on behalf of creation. So what did he do? Instead of being alone, he went to the one person who knew what it was like. He talked to his father constantly. Let me give you five quick examples of this. We see it when Jesus was by himself in Mark 1.35, while it was still dark. Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So he was alone. Or when he was eating, it says when he was at the table, he took bread and gave thanks. Or when he is about to perform a miracle, notice this, he looked up to heaven. That is a euphemism for he's about to pray. And with a deep sigh said to him, be opened. I tried to say that word in Greek at the first service. It didn't go well, so we're just going to skip over in this one, okay? Let me give you two more. Jesus, when he was being baptized, notice this, he was praying. So when he's being baptized, he was praying. And then Jesus, when he was about to make a really big decision, what did he do? He prayed. He went to a mountain to pray and spent the whole night praying with God. When morning came, he chose or called his disciples. That's like the big group of followers. And he chose 12 of them whom he designated apostles. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus's life was marked by consistent conversation with God. And if you want to experience this effortless life of being and doing what Christ would do and be in your situation, prayer is one of the practices we're invited into. And so Willard says this, prayer is conversing or communicating with God. When we pray, we talk to God aloud or within our thoughts. He goes on, prayer almost always involves other disciplines and spiritual activities if it is to go well, especially study, meditation, and worship, and often solitude and fasting as well. Now, this next, next phrase is going to be a little complicated, so I'm going to break it down, but here it is. He says, it would, of course, be a rather low-voltage spiritual life in which prayer was chiefly undertaken as a discipline rather than as a way of co-laboring with God to accomplish good things and advance his kingdom purposes. Thanks, Willard. Anyone else lost after that one? All right, here's what he's basically saying. Imagine if prayer was only used as a means of checking off a to-do list instead of a way of getting to know God better. It'd be like 
my best friend right over here, Lindsay. Imagine if I went over to her and said, sweetheart, I feel like we need to have a conversation so I become more patient. After all, when I talk to you, I have to learn a whole lot of patience. How do you think that'd go for me, folks? Nope, not good. It'd be a little insulting. Imagine likewise when we speak to God, if the reason we talk to him is only so that we become something spiritual instead of knowing him more. Dallas is simply saying the gift of prayer is the opportunity to hear from God, to speak to God, to know him and for him to know us better. And he ends with this, that conversation, when it is truly a conversation, makes an indelible impression on our minds and our consciousness of him remains vivid as we go our way. In other words, once you've spent time to God, with God in that kind of prayer, he goes with you when you leave that moment of prayer. His presence is with you wherever and all the places that you go. Now, Here's why we do this. If you want to jot this down, prayer frees us. Again, it's a freedom thing. Prayer frees us from believing that we are alone. It also frees us from believing that I must be God. Any of us here need to be reminded once in a while that we are not God? Well, let me put it this way. Don't raise your hand, but does your spouse every once in a while need to be reminded they're not God? Just, just give me a wink if that's applicable. This is one of those beautiful things. It reminds us that we are not alone and that we are not God. See, Jesus, although he was God, was tempted to feel alone. So he went to the one who knew him and knew what it was like to be him. He went to prayer. And now Jesus, who went through all things, was tempted and always knows what it's like to be you. Knows what it's like to be me. And so we go to God in prayer saying, you understand. And I am not alone. Prayer is not simply to be spiritual. Prayer is the gift you give yourself to know you're not alone. And in a world where you're around people constantly, but often segregated and segmented, where you feel alone, this is one of the greatest practices that we are given. Now, I want to explain and illustrate this. So, Sean Ox, come on up here real quick. I want to show you there are three ways that we can think of conversation. By the way, everyone, say hi to Sean Ox, please. All right, there are three forms of conversation. The first one is I have a conversation with Sean Alex. He's right here. I'm talking to him directly, Sean Alex, me. We all got that one? Okay. There's a second form. The second kind of conversation is I'm talking to you with Sean Alex present. I'm aware that he's present. I'm informing what I say to you because he's present. There are some things I will say, some things I wouldn't say because Sean Alex is present. Everyone with me? We got this? All right, now the third one. Go away, Sean Ox. Thank you so much. Here's the third one. I just talked to you without any awareness or thought about the presence of Sean Alex. I'm going to talk to you. In fact, because Sean Alex is not around, there are some things I might say to you that I would not say because Sean Alex is not here. Same goes for our relationship with God. There are three ways you talk to God directly. Oh, Father, thank you for this moment. Or you go into relationship with others and no matter who you're with, where you are, whether they know God, love God or not, when you speak to them, you do so acknowledging that God is present with you. So although you may not be speaking to God, you are speaking about God and you know he's present. He is forming what you say. The third way and the way that I often operate is I will talk to other people pretending God is nowhere near. 
Jesus Christ never practiced that third way. Everywhere he went was either to talk to God directly or he would talk with an acknowledgement that God was with him no matter who he was with or where he was to the point that when he was with other people, it was as though there was no barrier between his personal and his public conversation with God. Let me give you an example. When Jesus would perform miracles, sometimes he would pray before the miracle and then perform it. Other times... Jesus would just look at the person and perform the miracle because he acknowledged the presence of his father in every circumstance, whether he spoke the name of God or not. Prayer is one of those ways that reminds you and me we are not alone, no matter the circumstance or situation. So a couple of final things when it comes to prayer. The goal of prayer is to help you and me become aware and connected with And a friend of God so that every thought that I think and every word that I say is spoken in the presence of God. How would it, just time out, how would this spiritual practice, forget the personal side, just from how would this, how would this improve your marriage, friend? If when you spoke to the one that you said, I do with, you now speak to them as though God is present in that moment. How would this improve the way that we parent our children if we acknowledged in the moment of frustration that our heavenly father who could have shot us with a lightning bolt did not do so, but is now present with us. So when you are tempted to shoot your kids with a lightning bolt, you instead speak with grace because they are present. Or what would it look like with your boss who may not know Christ, but you speak to him in such a way because Christ is there with you. Do you understand this doesn't just affect us personally, but it affects us relationally and in every way. This is one of the beautiful gifts that God gives each of us. Now, if you want to make a Christian feel guilty, here's what you do. How's your prayer life? How's your study life? And every one of us will say, man, I should be doing this, but this is what I'm doing. I just want to be real clear. None of this is to make anyone feel guilty. This is a gift to give us freedom. And if you don't pray yet, that's okay. Today and this week, I invite you to just test drive it. Try it out. A couple things on this. Willard makes this comment. He says, prayer will not be established in our lives as it must be for us to flourish unless we are practicing other disciplines such as solitude and fasting. Here's all he's saying. Sometimes the reason prayer and scripture reading are difficult for us is because we try to do them without doing other practices. So this morning... While it was still dark and while the family was asleep, I got up and I had my solitude time and my silence time and my prayer and Bible reading time. Why? Because I can know that God is with me while we're in this room, but it's hard for me to have a moment just with God in this room with you. But if I did not have those moments of solitude, I would not have those moments of prayer and scripture. Do you understand these other practices, they work together. And so I want to share with you one easy way to practice prayer. And it's simply called simple prayer. Anyone else in here like the idea of simple? I do. This is from Richard Foster. And here's all simple prayer is. This is what I'd encourage you to try out today. It's so, so easy. This is all it is. Simple prayer is where you talk with God about whatever happens to be on your mind in that moment. That's it. What are you thinking about? Talk to God. If you're like me, sometimes you'll be in the grocery because your wife gave you a list and I'm going, God, I don't know where these things are and I don't want to ask the attendant a 12th time, help. That's what I'm thinking about. 
So I'll talk about groceries or I'll talk about my kids or I'll talk about my wife or I'll talk about the weather or I'll talk about something I read in the news, something I saw on TV, something that's inside, a conversation or a conflict. Whatever is on my mind, I just say, blah. And often, guess what? You don't actually have to say, dear God, to talk to God. Did you know that? That's that's not like dialing on the pad and if you don't do it, you just get the dial tone. Wait, how many of you even know what I'm talking about when I say dial tone? Anyone else? I mean, most of you guys, you're like, you grew up in the cell phone area. You're like, what's a dial tone? Okay, okay. You don't have to say, dear God, and you don't have to say amen for God to know that you're done talking. You simply just open your mouth and say, this is what's on my heart. Simple prayer is, this is what's going on, God. Will you please be with me in this moment? See, prayer is an ongoing conversation with God, which is why Paul says, pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean you have your head bowed all the time. It means that no matter where you are, you can open your mouth and know that God listens. So simple prayer. Let me give you two things here. One example from the Old Testament. I love what Foster says. He says, in the Old Testament, the prophet Elijah is a great example because he's going someplace and these youth come out and they start making fun of him because he is bald. In fact, the language there, the literal wording is, you old roundhead, there you go. That's an insult, you roundhead. It's like a light bulb, who knows? And what does Elijah do in that moment? He looks up to God and he says, God, sick him. And what happens? God sends bears out of the woods and they attack these young men. Now, do you know the moral of that story, church? Don't make fun of bald people. That's the moral of the story. Now, what is he doing? Elijah is simply taking what he is facing in that moment and he's presenting it to God. Whatever you are facing, simply say, this is what's on my heart, on my mind. You can pray today. So let me give you two hows and then we're going to sing a final song here. Number one, I would invite you, if you want to practice prayer, maybe for the first time, it's so simple, simply speak out loud to God about whatever is weighing on your mind. So whatever it is in the moment, just say, God, here it is. It can be one sentence and then you're done. Here's the other way that I'd invite you to try it out this week is to simply combine study and prayer by picking a passage of scripture, perhaps a psalm, and use it as a prayer to pray to God. So the Lord is my shepherd. Maybe instead of saying the Lord, you might say, you, Lord, are my shepherd. I shall not want. You make me to lie down in green pastures. See, there's a way to effortlessly become like Jesus. And it's not about trying harder, brother and sisters. It simply comes when we rearrange the activities of our lives around those things that Christ did. And so let's practice that this morning. We're going to pray together. I invite you to bow your head. If it helps you to close your eyes, I invite you to do that as well. But here's all I want to invite you to do as we prepare the room is simply this. Close your eyes and whatever's on your mind in this moment, just say, Father, and then say what it is. Maybe it's a conflict. Maybe it's a situation or relationship. It doesn't have to be long, but just tell him, Father, here's what's on my mind. Lord, I thank you for we don't have to climb to the highest mountain to meet with you and there is no dark pit where you are not already. So in this place, we thank you for meeting each of us. 
For those who have yet to say yes to you in relationship, in baptism, we ask that you would speak to each person. For those who know you, but perhaps are just saying, I want more. Thank you for that desire they have in their heart. May you meet them as they pray, as they listen to you through scripture. Father, we love you and we thank you for coming to us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.